Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Now, i got to tell you, this will be the last normal episode, in fact, last episode of this week. I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off, and I had to take it a little bit early, juggling things regarding my broken truck and other things. Uh, yes, my truck broke down again. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is put forward by people that are most popular, (laughs) and a lot of those who are just mimicking the most popular, it's not even biblical. It's not what God's Word says. It's not sound doctrine. It's not what Christians have believed from the beginning, like not even close. And over and again, we demonstrate there's a lot of ear-tickling, ear-scratching going on and teaching for shameful gain, things that ought not to be taught. And uh, rather than being discipled in the same doctrines and teachings that the actual disciples of Jesus were discipled in, yeah, it's turned into something completely different. So I think you kind of get the idea. Now, like I said, uh, I've had to modify my plans here. A little bit of a long story, but... uh, Last weekend, I traveled to Minot, North Dakota, and I was, spoke at the uh, Christ Hold Fast conference there on the Psalms. I, I actually delivered a lecture on Psalm 69, which is one of the imprecatory Psalms, a fascinating text, by the way. Uh, but uh, while I was traveling there, my the Pirate Christian Radio Mobile, which is a 2007 Toyota FJ Cruiser. But here's the thing. It's paid for, okay? <laughs> I don't have a car payment because I don't think I could afford one. But anyway, uh, so uh, you, you, I maintain it and stuff like that. And we had problems a while ago. The alternator went out uh, on my trip to Indiana for festivities related to my son's graduation from college. And then uh, on the way to Minot, the rear differential, yeah, it, it 
totally blew out. So uh, I, I, it's my, it's still there. It's just the best way I can put it. As the t- at the time I'm recording this, my Toyota FJ Cruiser is still in Minot, North Dakota, and uh, I'm actually trying to figure out how to get back there, get it, and before I leave from my, you know, I'm going out of town for a little bit. <sighs> anyway, you get the idea. So it's a, it, it's, because of that, I've had to shuffle things around, and tomorrow there, there's not going to be an episode of Fighting for the Faith for Friday, uh, so I, I, there's, just, there's no way to avoid it. So I'm, I'm taking an extra vacation day in order to, to deal with this, and so yeah, I think you get the idea. And, and for the next couple of weeks, I've got uh, some traveling I'm doing, also uh, taking care of some pastoral business and duties, so it's, it's going to... Just be like a crazy couple of weeks. Let's just put it this way. June is going to be – yeah, see, here we are at the end of May. Uh, so part of May uh, – the last part of May, beginning of June, crazy. Uh, last part of June, crazy. And then things settle down again. So, you know, just <laughs> – just, All right. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin – with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we're going to note that uh, Rodney Howard Brown, uh, literally uh, yesterday on the Sheila Zielinski, uh podcast on YouTube, uh, you know, on her program, uh, literally claimed, made the claim that people who are doubting and denying and attacking the uh, the laughing revival and the manifestations of the holy spirit you know with uncontrollable laughter and stuff like that that happen happens at his events and has been happening since the 1990s they have crossed the line they have committed the unforgivable sin which means they're going to burn in hell and uh, i i'm not making this up you're going to hear it from the uh, horse's mouth himself and I find it fascinating that uh, you know that he literally believes that it is uh, it is a matter of whether or not you are going to go to heaven or hell as to whether or not you believe that the Holy Spirit is behind the chicanery that uh, has been going on at uh, Rodney Howard Brown's uh, <clears throat> leadership, you know, shall we say, within the charismatic movement. So we'll take a listen to that. We'll actually look at historical uh, I- examples of uh, this out. You know this nonsense as well as recent. I mean, just like this week, and uh, so we'll do that. Uh, then we are going to be hearing from a, a gal we've never heard from before. Her name is Lillian Brown, and the name of the message is "Hearing God in a Noisy World." And we're going to note uh, that uh, what she is saying is is that she had to learn how to attune herself to hear the voice of God. But Scripture does not teach what she's saying. We'll, we'll actually show you what Scripture says regarding where we go to hear the voice of God. And then we're going to uh, check in with Stephen Furtick and an egregious, and I mean this, an egregious narcissizing of uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. I mean, utterly clueless. I mean, this man, he has not, he has not found a biblical text that is not about him, including the ones that are clearly about Jesus. And so uh, we'll take a listen to that. And then in hour number two, we're going to be listening to uh, a Planet Shakers sermon from Russell Evans, uh, like, I think it's called Fire Feeders. And uh, yeah, just to show you uh, his false understanding of the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be covering on today's 
episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground to cover. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. Tilton and Hubabaconda. All right, so we're heading over to the YouTube channel of uh, Sheila Zielinski. And uh, yesterday on her program, she invited Rodney Howard Brown on the program, mostly to talk about Trump. Uh, but uh, Sheila steered into the laughing revival and the false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what... <laughs> And what Rodney Howard Brown had to say to those who are critical and are deniers uh, that uh, that what is happening there at the uh, you know at his events going all the way back to the nineties, including the Laughing Revival, isn't isn't not only is it not biblical, it's not a manifestation of the spirit. But uh, he's saying of his critics, basically, y'all who are critical and have spoken out against this, you going to hell. That's literally what he's. Saying, uh, here's Sheila Zielinski and Rodney Howard Brown to explain. Nobody gets hammered more. In fact, when you were, you know, the last couple times you were on this show, oh, I can't believe you had, you know, Mr. Laughing, Holy Ghost, Drunken, Mr. Kundalini. On and on it went. I was just relegated to the depths of the damned. How do you deal with some of these complete jackals? First of all, let me say this. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, you mentioned Kundalini. I had no clue what that was. So when I actually had to do some research to see what they were accusing, it's actually something to do with Hinduism, and it's actually involving um, sexual perversion. And so then I realized that the people who knew what it was must actually have been involved in it. Everybody that accuses me of that. Notice the deflection. So there are people, I've seen the people, and many of them are listeners to my audience, uh, you know, into fighting for the faith. You know, who've noted the stark similarities between uh, Kundalini and these weird, uh, overpowering, convulsing so called manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And they've likened it to the demonic stuff going on in, uh, in Hinduism. And here you got uh, Rodney Howard Bond basically deflecting and saying, oh, well, yeah, the, the problem with them is, is that they're sexually perverted. Okay. And I know what they've been involved in because I have no clue. I was raised in church. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of five. Oh, yeah. He, he's as 
clean as the wind-driven snow. You know, he's never sinned since he was five. You know? The Holy Spirit was eight years of age, so I don't know anything of what they're talking about. Let me tell you what that is. That's a full-blown attack on the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, they're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Jesus said... And by the way, blaspheming the Holy Ghost, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, that's not forgivable. Now, let's take a look at what the Scripture says in these regards. And I'm going to throw in another biblical text just to kind of help us out here. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll start at verse 22. And uh, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, this is kind of like the major turning point in Jesus' ministry because whereas he at one point was teaching, you know, out in the open, teaching plainly, after this incident, he begins teaching in parables. And the reason he starts teaching in parables is in order for the uh, people to not understand what he's saying. But that's a different chapter. That's Matthew 13. But watch the event. Uh, uh, Matthew 12, 22, a, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that many, uh, so that many, that man that spoke and saw. So here we got a demon-oppressed man, blind, mute. Jesus heals him. He now can see and he can now speak. There's no doubt whatsoever for those who are eyewitnesses of what happened that a true bona fide healing took place. There's no, there's no doubt whatsoever. In fact, when Jesus would perform miracles, people weren't sitting there going, did that really happen? Did, did, did he really perform a miracle? I, I, I'm not sure if that was flim flam or not. You know, Jesus never called out healings, you know, like the so many of the charismatics do. Jesus wasn't going, and I'm uh, sensing in my spirit right now that somebody has a hernia in their left ankle. Uh, if you have a herniated left ankle, uh, your healing has arrived, and you know, and 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 I I feel, oh wait, 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 somebody has cancer in their eyebrows, and you know, it's, Jesus never did that. The people were brought to him, and there was no question whatsoever that an actual miracle took place. Yet that's not what goes on in the charismatic movement, nor is it what goes on in uh, on TVN or any of the so-called Christian uh, television channels. So, but so here we got a demon-oppressed man, eyewitnesses both for Jesus and against Jesus. Uh, hostile witnesses and friendly witnesses saw it. So, so he was blind and mute, and now he can see and he could talk. So all the people were amazed, and they said, can this be the son of David? They're thinking, oh boy, this guy's the Messiah. He's the promised son of David. But when the Pharisees heard it, Pharisees, by the way, were heretics. They were not Orthodox. They were heretics. They said, oh, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So... Notice, their claim admits that a miracle took place. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, no doubt about it. There was a miracle. That guy performed a miracle. But they said, ah, oh, he's doing this by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. And so knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people except for the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So note that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. This is not referring to something that is un, that is ambiguous. So, ah, we're not sure if the miracle took place or not, You know that, all that kind of stuff. Again, pay close attention to the context because it tells you a lot. Rodney Howard Brown is doing the standard thing that charlatans like him do. And this goes all the way back to William Branham. Branham would engage in this kind of chicanery as well and basically bind people's consciences and make them afraid to think critically. Well, I can't speak out against this because if this is really the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to go to hell for speaking against it. No, again, what, the context shows us that uh, G- even Jesus' critics were fully aware that a real miracle took place and that really the hand of God was it, you know, was the, uh, responsible. Now, I wanted to show you one other text, and that is in Mark chapter 9, and this will come into play in just a minute. In Mark chapter 9, pay attention to this account, starting at verse 14. Uh, this is after the Mount of Transfiguration. It says this, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. These are the disciples who were left at the Mount of, Tra- of Transfiguration. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and ran up to Jesus and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, saying, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it, watch this, convulsed the boy, And he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the uh, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never to enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, we're going to note this. It's that nowhere in Scripture, when the Holy Spirit is working, are people shaking uncontrollably, convulsing on the ground. These are manifestations of demonic spirits, not the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. 
because when we uh, take a look at what what Rodney Howard Brown is up to, uh, we're going to note that uh, something ain't right. In uh, and so you know, so coming back then, uh, Rodney Howard Brown is basically saying, "Oh, these people, you know, yeah, they they some they're like sexually perverse because they mentioned the word Kundalini." And, uh, and oh, they're dangerously close to um, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Let me back this up just a few smidges, and we'll re-listen again. Here we go. I was raised in church. I gave my life to the Lord at the age of five, baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was eight years of age. So I don't know anything of what they're talking about. Let me tell you what that is. That's a full-blown attack on the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, they're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, whatever said against me will be forgiven. What is ever said against my Father will be forgiven. But whatever is said against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, not in this world or the world to come. And blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of a demon spirit. Blasphemy is not when a witch is working and calls it the Holy Spirit. That's not blasphemy. That's not blasphemy. That's just a lie. But blasphemy is when the Holy Ghost is working, and they say, that is a demon. That is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And I feel very sorry for some people, because when they cross over into eternity, they're going to realize that they've crossed so many lines. They have crossed so many lines. You know, if people don't know what it is, rather say, God, teach me. Holy Spirit, teach me. Listen, I didn't... If you don't know what it is, if you don't... See, that, there it is. Even Jesus's critics knew that he had had performed a miracle, and they still attributed it to the power of the devil. So you're going to note, this guy is not playing with a sound biblical deck, and uh, he's basically threatening people. You criticize me, you're going to go to hell. That's the subtext of what he said. Now, let me go back in time. On Phil Johnson's YouTube channel, you can find this video from the historical archives of the so-called Laughing Revival. Uh, Rodney Howard Brown, Phil Johnson named it the Unholy Laughter video. And watch this and tell me if this looks like it has anything to do with God the Holy Spirit to you. Now, those of you listening on the podcast, you'll just have to listen to the insanity. You won't be able to actually see it unless you go to the, our YouTube channel to watch this. But listen in. So Rodney Howard Brown is taking the stage right now. This is during the historical <clears throat> laughing revival. First thing he does is close his Bible and set it aside. Well, go ahead and just take a drink now. The ball's open. Go ahead and take a drink. The bar is open. Take a drink. Apparently, take a drink of the inebriating Holy Spirit. Go ahead. Just take a drink. Just start off in the natural. You'll end up in the Holy Ghost. Just start off in the natural. Just start off. Ha, 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 ha. Just start off in the natural. You end up in the Holy Ghost. So just go, ha, 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 and you'll end up in the Holy Ghost. No biblical text teaches this. None of the apostles manifested the Holy Spirit, in any kind of manner, even remotely resembling this. Start off in the natural. You'll end up over in the realm of the glory. This is actually more akin to um, hypnosis. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a demonic cackle at all. Man. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's demonic. Yeah. Now, by the way, that was historical footage. This is from uh, May 23rd. Yeah, watch this. And on the ground he goes, convulsing just like that kid did who had a demon. If I criticize this and challenge it and say, this is not God, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go to hell for that? Yeah, I don't think so. And I know this with certainty because Jesus himself told us very clearly what God, the Holy Spirit, would do when Jesus sent him. And Jesus never said, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to cause you to convulse like a demoniac laugh uncontrollably, throw you on the ground and make you behave and bark like an animal or anything like that. No, Jesus actually was very clear about what the Holy Spirit would be doing when he sent him. And we can see that in uh, John chapter 15, starting at verse 26. Jesus says this, uh, When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the, uh, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me about Jesus. And you're going to note the big error here is is that Rodney Howard Brown is basically saying, you don't believe that the Holy Spirit's working through me, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, could you imagine Jesus like, you know, day of judgment, right? And it's like, all right, so I got one question for you. You know, here's the question. Rodney Howard Brown, was he operating in the spirit or, or not? And you sit there and go, no. And Jesus says, oh, that's it. You, you're going to hell. No, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ, not Rodney Howard Brown. And so, and Jesus says, you also will bear witness because you have been uh, been with me from the beginning. And then continuing with this train of thought, partway through verse 4 in chapter 16, Jesus said, 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen to this, the Holy Spirit is going to do this. Convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. You know how you can tell the Holy Spirit is operating in a congregation when people are cut to the heart and say, oh my goodness, I'm undone, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. You know for certain Holy Spirit's operating there. Jesus says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so... um, Jesus then also says, regarding the Holy Spirit, verse 14, he will glorify me. And if we believe Rodney Howard Brown, then we have to believe that the Holy Spirit actually was sent to glorify Rodney Howard Brown rather than Christ. And Jesus never said anything, any of those things. Go then to the, uh, the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and what happens with the preaching that Peter gives on that day? It says people were cut to the quick, and they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And, and Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promises for you and for your children, and all who are far off, whom the Lord God will call to himself. You see, you can tell the Holy Spirit's working when people are convicted of their sin. That's the idea. And Christ is glorified. Christ is exalted. Jesus wasn't glorified or exalted. It never is glorified and exalted with Rodney Howard Brown. The man is going to have to explain all of this to Jesus someday. And unfortunately, I think he's going to be caught flat-footed because he thinks he's operating the Holy Spirit, and it will be revealed to him that he's operating in a demonic spirit. This just no two ways about it. All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're uh, going to be hearing from Stephen Furtick as well as, oh, what's this lady's name? Yeah, Lillian Brown. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents... Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know... If you're hearing directly from God. 
But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I love Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. But his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. 
there's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's Delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. 
Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, criticizing Rodney Howard Brown and denying that that's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit will not send you to hell, because it won't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And, of course, if you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, just click on the Become a Patron button. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, reset here. Let's do another Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Here we go. So I was having this wedding, and, and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Shandai. Yeah, 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 Shabbat. Yeah, I just can't believe it's true. (laughs) So uh, we're heading over to uh, Catch the Fire, Toronto, uh, and we're going to be listening to Lillian Brown as she's going to explain to us how uh, to hear God's voice in a noisy world. Uh, The simple biblical solution to hearing God's voice in a noisy world involves reading your Bible, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here is Lillian Brown. Did you feel anything when you walked in the building? No. Yeah? Oh, look at that. What did you feel? Oh, well, presence. Yeah, presence is always with us. But you know, presence never leaves us. Okay. As long as we're hungry, he's going to come and he's going to give us more and more and more and more. More presence. So today I'm going to share with you guys um, on our continuing series called Hearing God's Voice in a Noisy World. Anybody here live in a noisy world? That's right. I'm telling you, the city that I live in has about 
uh, probably over 500,000 people. And it is extremely noisy. I hear everything from screeching tires to music to voices to yelling. So, so like heretics. Yeah, you know. Screaming, dogs barking, everything that you can think of. And we're surrounded by noise all the time, aren't we? Well, one day I was driving, um, driving home and I stopped at a light. I stopped at traffic lights. And right there beside me pulls up this little car. Now people play the music so loud all the time anyways. I don't know about you in your city, but in my city, they play music really, really loud. And sometimes when the weather is nice, I just like to, um, I just like to wind down my window and get fresh air and just, you know, listen to my own worship music. And this day, this car pulls up beside me and I looked over and the car is dancing. Have you ever seen a car dance? Man, it's dancing and it's vibrating and the sound of the bass is just coming out and, and, and shaking my cars while I'm thinking like it's going to be a wind or something. I looked at the car and in the back seat of the car, there's, there are no seats, just two speakers. And the car is just like booming, right? And I thought to myself, well, two can play at this game. I'm going to crank up my worship music. So I cranked it all up, but to no avail. That sound just kept booming, booming, booming until we drove away. But you know, we live in a very noisy world. But within this noisy world, God has trained us up. And he's teaching us how to hear his voice. How? Um, you see, I just have to interject at this point. What do you mean God is training us to hear his voice? And so you're going to note that the whole premise of a teaching like this is that somehow God wants to communicate to us, but he's incapable of successfully communicating. So it's up to us to actually figure out how to hear God who's desperately trying to communicate, but can't. I mean, what kind of God is that? I mean, what's the point of being an all-powerful, omniscient, you know, you know, God, if, you know, when you communicate and you're trying to talk to somebody and they can't hear you, you know, there's the Holy Spirit wanting to talk to us. He's, oh, Holy Spirit, and... I really have something I need to say to you, but um, I haven't figured out how to communicate in a way that you'll be able to hear me. So uh, could you, like, pay attention, learn how to tune in to hear my voice? I know it's noisy and stuff out there, but I, I, I've been trying to tell you some things, but, you know, I, I just feel powerless because you never seem to be listening when I'm talking. This is nuts. <laughs> when God speaks, you're going to know it. <laughs> If he's speaking to you, there ain't nowhere to hide. You know, I mean, even Balaam, who was a guy who was into prophetic flim flam, when God talked to him, he was like terrified because he didn't expect there would be somebody on the other line. You, you, you kind of get the idea. The, so the whole premise of this is bonkers that the, that the all powerful, almighty, all knowing God is communicating and, and you, you can't hear him. That, that doesn't make any sense know his voice 
If you've not heard a teaching on how to hear God's voice, Mark Verkler has an excellent teaching, and we do also teach it in our illustration. No, Verkler is to be avoided like the plague. The, the man's teachings are bonkers. And if you go to fightingforthefaith.com, type in Mark Verkler in our search bar, you'll find me critiquing his teaching about how to hear God's voice. He comes in our school of ministry and lots of our other seminars that we do here at Catch the Fire. But within this world of noise... We are always searching for a little bit of quiet because in the quiet, sometimes we hear God much better. What? (laughs) So uh, we got to hear God in the quiet. Where does it say that in scripture that we got to hear God in the quiet? But the truth is the Lord wants us to hear him no matter where we are in what circumstance. Right. But it's up to us apparently because he's powerless to communicate in a way that we'll hear him regardless of where we are. You know, I just had um, a granddaughter born last year, May 10th, a year ago. My first grandchild was born. And I spent a lot of time at my daughter's house helping her in the first couple of weeks. And she was trying to get the baby into a routine and getting her to go to sleep. And what she would do is she's turn on this thing called an ambient noise machine. Can you imagine when I had my babies, the house was really very quiet. It was always quiet when I put them to bed. Now you need a special noise machine to put babies to sleep. And it simulates the sound. You never had it when your babies were little. You know, you go for a drive around the block, they fall asleep. You turn the vacuum cleaner on and they fall asleep. Maybe it's just my babies, you know, but my babies are adults now. But, you know, yeah, when they were little, you know, we would do things like that and it worked every time. You know, like dolphins and maybe waves and different things that, different kinds of sounds that lull them to sleep. But you know, within this noisy world, we are being trained to hear the voice of God. And when we, he- when we learn more and more and we train our ears, then it doesn't matter how noisy it is around us. Again, why would we have to train our ears if an all-powerful, almighty God is communicating to us? No. I'm the all-powerful God, but I can't figure out how to be heard. Here we are. We can still hear his voice. So what does God say about that? In John 10, 27. All right. John 10, 27. Open up your Bible there. As my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall not perish forever. So... What does it mean when you... Yeah, so we're going to take a look there at what the scripture said. So when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, does that mean God's out there communicating and you need to hear the audible voice of God, apparently, who's having a very difficult time communicating in a way to be heard? No, that's not even close to what Jesus meant. And we'll show you the context. Three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context... Context and context. Now, the context here, we're going to note that Jesus begins this context in the opening portion of John 10. Here's what Jesus says. Amen, amen. Yeah, that's what it says in the Greek. Amen, amen. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Uh, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now you're going to note, 
Verse 6, this figure of speech. Right, Jesus is talking figuratively. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. This whole metaphor is a metaphor. And so what I find fascinating is that Jesus, in the text itself, it makes it clear that Jesus is doing this. Jesus is speaking figuratively. Okay, you're not really a sheep. Bah. You know, it, it, you're, you're you're a figurative sheep. That's kind of the point. This is a figure of speech. So they take a figure of speech and then they interpret this literally to the point where now you've got to hear God's voice. And if you're not hearing it, well, then you're doing something wrong. I mean, you may not even be a believer. Some of them talk this way. You may not even be a Christian if you're not hearing the audible voice of God. And then now verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. But we know from verse the earlier verses, this is a figure of speech. I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life. Now, it is helpful for us to note something, and that is, is that uh, Jesus himself, in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 16, talking to his disciples who would become the apostles, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the question is, okay, so Jesus wants us to hear his voice. The question is, where has he promised for his voice to be heard? Answer, in the teachings of the apostles. Where's the only place you can find where the apostles are talking? Answer, the written word of God. And so the idea here is, is that Jesus makes it clear in Luke ten sixteen, the one who hears the apostles hears Jesus. You want to hear Jesus? Listen to Peter. Listen to John. Listen to Matthew. Listen to Paul. Yeah, you listen to these fellows. They were sent by Jesus as his emissaries, and the one who hears them hears Jesus. That's exactly what he says. And this concept is not foreign, by the way. I mean, this is the whole point of Scripture. Take a look at this text in Mark chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 1. It says this, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus uh, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. So the, the headquarters in Jerusalem decided to send some highfalutin officials, Pharisees and scribes and stuff. Check out Jesus. You know, see if this guy's really on the level. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Tradition of the elders should be capitalized there. That's an actual body of work. It started off as an oral tradition and then later got written down in the Talmuds. But um, the tradition of the elders is an extra-biblical um, body of work that the Pharisees claim that Moses received on Mount Sinai. Uh, and didn't write down so that the Gentiles would never hear it. So you, you know, you're going to look in your in your Old Testament, in the Tanakh, in the you know in the Torah and the prophets, and you're not going to find any command to wash your hands. But it's in the tradition of the elders. And watch what Jesus does with this here. By the way, this is one of the reasons why the Pharisees are heretics. They're not sola scriptura folks. So when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. And the word for washer is actually baptizo, to baptize. Baptizing a couch, why would you do that? Anyway, so the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to, and watch the phrase, tradition of the elders. That should be capitalized. It's an official body of work. But they eat with defiled hands. So Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, 
as it, you, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And now Jesus makes a very important distinction. And watch how he uses words interchangeably, the word commandment of God and Moses. Watch what happens. You leave the commandment of God. Who's speaking there? God is. And you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting, watch, the commandment of who? God. God's speaking here in this commandment in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, now isn't that interesting? Honor your father and mother. That's in the written Old Testament. And Jesus said, that commandment didn't come from Moses. That commandment actually is a commandment of God. God is speaking to you through that commandment. So Moses said, honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Love the Greek, die the death. So, but yeah, you say, but you say, if, uh, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is now korban, that means it's a gift given to God. Well, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void, watch, the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things. So you're going to note, Jesus says that the Old Testament, God is speaking to you through it. Whether it was Moses who wrote, or Samuel who wrote, or David, or Solomon, or Malachi, or Isaiah, or Amos, God is the one speaking. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he says the same thing to all generations, which is very helpful. And so then Peter himself even kind of picks up on this in his epistle, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, Peter writes uh, regarding uh, you know, what we are to pay attention to uh, right before he's going to his death. So Peter is getting ready to die. He knows he's, uh, you know, he's not long for this world. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is uh, recounting, if you would, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, He's where he said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. See, God didn't have any problem being heard when he, when he was speaking, for we were with Jesus on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, or you could say more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter, as he's getting ready to go and spend eternity with Christ, he's literally telling the church, us, all of us, Pay attention to the scriptures, the prophetic words, the writings. And even Paul did the same thing as he was nearing the end of his course, writing to young Pastor Timothy in one of his pastoral epistles, one of the last things that Paul writes. He says to this to young Pastor Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, grammata, 
uh, you know, uh, and uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture, graphe, writing, that's what that is. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So think of it this way. The only place you can go today and know with certainty you are hearing the voice of God is where he has promised to speak. He has spoken to us in the Old Testament through Moses and the prophets. He has spoken to us and is speaking to us now through the writings of the apostles, whom Jesus said, the one who hears you hears me. And so we are admonished by Scripture itself to be in the Scriptures. This idea that God is communicating, but we can't hear him, and it's up to us to learn how to hear his voice. We're not hearing the voice of God when we do that. We're either hearing our own heart or our own insane minds, or we're hearing, well, the demonic. Over and again, Scripture points us back to Scripture. And it is a twisting of Scripture to somehow put it on people. Oh, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So are you hearing his voice or not? You better try harder. Right. Like, it's up to me to hear God talking. If Jesus wants to talk to me, he's going to talk to me. And there's nowhere I could be on planet Earth, in outer space, in the depths of the Earth, or in, you know, in the heart of a mountain. It doesn't matter where I am. In the depths of the sea, I could be at the bottom of the Mariachi Trench. If Jesus is going to talk to me, regardless of where I am, he's going to be heard. So, I mean, this is just absurd. It's a twisting of God's word. And this is a staple within the uh, charismatic movement, and it's a false teaching extraordinaire. So, yeah, that's the idea. John 10, Jesus is not telling you you have to hear his audible voice. That's ridiculous. You want to know where you hear Jesus' voice? Where he said it would be. The one who hears his apostles hears Jesus. So where do I go to find the apostles talking? The written word of God. So if you want to hear God's voice, read your Bible. You want to hear it out loud? Read it out loud. You'll hear the voice of God. Guaranteed. Moving along. Sheep. 
Church. Stephen Furtick, the king of the Narsegeets, is going to be working through Mark chapter 6, at least the opening verses. And the name of his message is Trapped in Nazareth. And in case you haven't noticed, there is no biblical text that Stephen Furtick has not figured out how to make about himself. Yeah, including all the ones about Jesus, which is the really weird part about it. So, without any further ado, here is Stephen Furtick and a portion of his message titled, Trapped in Nazareth. Here we go. This message is Trapped in Nazareth. Trapped in Nazareth. And on your way to your seat, look at the person next to you. Sounds dangerous. Have you been trapped in Nazareth yet? I, have you escaped? Escape from Nazareth! It, it's, it'd be a great, you know, series or something, you know. Say, so you seem stuck. Please be seated. (sighs) Look at all those people there to be deceived. That's a lot of people. Sometimes people think Jesus was from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie. But he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. That's where this passage takes place. Yes. Not where he was born, but where he was raised. Right. In Nazareth. Not where he did most of his ministry. He didn't do most of his ministry in the place where he grew up. Because sometimes in order to be used by God, you have to leave what is familiar. Um. (laughs) What? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Hang on. I forgot to stretch before the segment, so you know I might have pulled something there. Wow. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> you know sometimes you gotta leave what's familiar before God can. This is nonsense. See, see there's Jesus going, Dad, Dad. Why can't I do anything yet? Well, you haven't left what's familiar yet, son. Oh. Okay. I'll move over to Capernaum. Yeah. This is just absurd. Okay, so let's talk about Narcissus for a second. All right, it it basically takes two words, narcissism, which is the love of self, and eisegesis, which is the reading into the biblical text stuff that isn't there. Let me show you the Wikipedia article on eisegesis, although Wikipedia is not a great theological resource. In this particular case, they get it right. Eisegesis is the process of interpreting a text or portion of a text in such a way that the process introduces one's own presuppositions, agendas, or biases into and onto the text. Mm -hmm. This is commonly referred to as reading into the text. So, narcissism is the reading of yourself 
into the biblical text when you ain't there. I, 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 I ain't there either. Let's take a look over at uh, Mark chapter 6, by the way, the text in question, and see if we can find ourselves in this text. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Mark 6, 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own home and his own household. So he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Unbelief about whom? You? Me? No, I'm not in this text. I wasn't there. This is a text telling me about Jesus, and Stephen Furtick thinks it's about you. And so, so much so that, well, what's the reason why you might not do most of your ministry, you know, your destiny and stuff, you know, where you grew up? Well, because, you know, sometimes you have to leave what's familiar in order for God to be able to use you. I mean, this is this is narcissism. The problem is Stephen Furtick has not found a biblical text that isn't about him yet, including all the ones about Jesus. So yeah, it's just weird, you know. That's an important point, and we'll cover it more fully. But I just want to tell you a little bit about Nazareth, which is 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. That was his base. That's where he set up shop and uh, and moved around that Sea of Galilee to do miracles. That's where his fame was being published. When it says in verse 1, Jesus left there, uh, he didn't leave the place where he was ministering and go back home because it wasn't working out. He left his success to go back to where he started. And that interesting? He, he didn't go back because he needed a room in Mary's basement you know, or to sleep on the couch for a little while while they raised some funds for the ministry. Uh, he wasn't GoFunding me um, and trying to get it off the ground. He was, in fact, going back home for a specific purpose, which we know because it says this important detail, that he took his disciples with him. Now, why is it important that he took his squad, if I may call them a squad? Just to modernize the text a little bit, if, if the Bible were written today, it would say he, he went, went accompanied with his squad. He went... Jesus, you know, had God's squad, you know, the disciples, his squad, you know, and probably had the security guy just like Furtick does. I think Furtick's security guy was called Cupcake, you know. Them, And he went back to the people who uh, he grew up with and he took them with him. Now, that's important. Why? Because he's taking them as a part of their training. He is commissioning them to change the world. And he... no, no, see, no. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this is a big common false teaching today. Uh, the Great Commission. Yeah, it. Um, l- l- let's take a look at it because everyone's twisting it nowadays. Uh, it, you can find it in you know Matthew chapter twenty-eight, and uh, we'll see exactly what the Great Commission says. And uh, we're going to note that it doesn't say what he just said. Yeah, see, Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples to change the world. 
no. So uh, Matthew eighteen sixteen. Um, uh, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, "Are you ready? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Actually, this is not an imperative. As you are going, the praruamai here is a passive participle. So as you are going, therefore, here's your imperative: make disciples, matetuo." Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So notice it says, make disciples. It does not say, make a difference or change the world. Okay? Changing the world is God's job. We are about the task of making disciples and teaching all that Christ has commanded. Where we find that? All of the Bible contains that from Genesis to the book of Maps. So just wanted to let you know that. Okay, so Furtick is already doing some weird twisting here. Then back, I'll never forget when I took Holly to Monk's Corner for the first time. She was so bored and she acted so interested. And I knew I found the woman I... This isn't about you taking your wife to Monk's Corner, which is where he grew up. Good night. Wanted because she pretended like Monk's Corner was the most fascinating city in the United States of America. Now, she had traveled by this point to 49 of the United States. Uh, she had seen many things. And so I know there was uh, nothing special about Monk's Corner. But boy, she made me feel like she was interested in uh, Sonic, where we hung out every Friday night. Just different landmarks like this that were important to my development. Jesus. So notice, he literally, by talking this way, believes, it's making it clear. Mark 6, it, you know, the parallel in his life is when he took his wife back to Monk's Corner. Meaning, he thinks this text is about him. Disciples home to show him around. He has a purpose. He's not making a detour. He's not even coming home for Thanksgiving. He's not checking in. It's not been a while. He's, he's actually coming home for a purpose. He's coming home for a purpose. And while he is there, he is invited to give the guest lecture in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as he does that, as he stands up to teach, uh, the people notice that there is something about him that they did not notice when he lived among them. Because he'd been there for a long time. But now that he's been gone for a while, they see him differently when he comes back. And since I already read the whole passage to you, we may as well talk about the fact that Jesus was rejected by those who were the closest to him. He found wider acceptance among the sinners than he did the religious. Just a little bit of a note there. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If by religious you mean those who are self-righteous, who don't recognize their sinners, you can kind of make that point. But that's really not the issue. I mean, Jesus' point was not that they were self-righteous. Um, again, his point in this text, let me get back to it. Uh, Mark chapter 6, it, you know, the punchline was, A prophet is not without honor except for in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. So, okay, yeah, see, the, 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 the issue wasn't righteousness or self-righteousness. 
Um, it had to do with um, familiarity in this particular case. One way that the prophet said it was, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. You know, you know, no, I, you know, hang on a second. I thought, I thought that's John chapter 1. Hope I'm right, because I'm doing this from memory. Hold on here. John 1. There we go. Let's see here. Let's see if I got it right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Um, in the beginning was the Word, and Arche, and Halagas, Kaialagas, Proston Theod. Right, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, uh, Kaitheos and Halagas. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Okay, let's see. Um, it verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Yeah, see here here's the thing is is that John John one eleven is not a cross reference to Mark six. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, talking about, you know, Jesus is the creator of everything. Everything was made through him. He's the light of the world. He came to his own. His own people, the, the children of Israel, who claim to worship the God that Jesus is, and they didn't receive him. So, yeah, he's twisting that text, too. Yeah, he, he seems really good at Bible twisting. Not so good at rightly handling biblical texts, which pastors are required by God's word to do. That's a very sad place to be, by the way, when the people closest to you don't appreciate you, don't support you, and don't express their love to you. In fact, I have met grown men who are still trying to prove something to their dead dad who never said, I'm proud of you. There's something about when you wanted approval from somebody who was closest to you, and we all have these people in our lives that 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 we really desperately crave for them to tell us that not only what we do matters to them but that they admire us as a man maybe it's a man thing i don't know um this text isn't about that at all what are you doing get out of this text this text isn't about you it's not about me it's about jesus and what he has done for us to save us Get out of here. You don't belong in this text. If you can help me sort this out, whether this is a gender thing or whether it's across the board, I want to be admired by the people who really know me. That means something to me because I... I, I'm sure it does. And I'm like really creeped out by... Why would a pastor talk this way during a sermon? I really want to be admired. By the people who are closest to me. I hope they're listening. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, this text isn't about you. Christians don't go to church to learn about Stephen Furtick. At least they shouldn't. They should go to church to learn about Jesus. I can fake everybody else out. <laughs> but if the people who are closest to me and know me the most, if they don't think I'm full of crap, I'm doing something. Talk to me. I love how y'all look at me confused, like you're not full of crap sometimes. You know how you're real nice to the server at the restaurant, but you yell at your wife? Like that. 
Okay. Um. Wow. Okay. That is like on the creepo meter. It, it it buried the needle on the highest rank, and the needle spun back around again. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> We're no longer doing Bible study. We're doing psychology here, and I think he needs to get help. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I think you get the point. Um, Narcissus bad. It's, it, it, it's, you're not in the Bible texts and, uh, Stephen Furtick, he's the king of the Narcissus and proudly so. And whatever you do, if you're close to him, make sure you let him know you appreciate him or else. Mm. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading down to Planet Shakers as Russell, Russell Evans is going to explain to us how to become fire feeders. Woohoo! You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. All right, 
we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Man, the, the, the bad teaching is getting worse. By the minute. Oui. Yeah, let's do this right, I think, here. Hang on, let's do this. There we go. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Planet Shakers down there in Oz. Name of the name of the sermon is Fire Feeders, and um, you you may want to put on some protective gear because um, Russell Evans is wackerdoodle. And uh, the things he's about to say, you're going to hear him say, are <laughs> not actually taught in Scripture. It's quite imaginative what he's done with these biblical texts. I mean, it's a work of art all in itself. Um, like some weird, demented, cartoon, inverse, bizarro world version of what God's Word says. So let me go. <laughs> Go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Russell Evans in um, Fire Feeders. Here we go. A few weeks ago, I, I started, um, when I was talking about supernatural increase, I, I spoke a sermon on firestorm and that there's a triangle of fire for fire to be created. There's oxygen. Yeah, by the way, if your pastor is preaching sermons about supernatural increase, He's the one expecting his finances to supernaturally increase at your expense. Just to saying, that's how that works. That comes from the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is heat that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's fuel. You need these three things to see a fire start. Uh-huh. So you're taking the fire triangle, which I learned in first aid class, and you're imposing that on the biblical text. Why? How, why? <laughs> what, what exegetical reason can you give for doing this? And I talked about fuel is hunger, and that that's our job. The oxygen of God. Fuel is hunger. <laughs> yeah, he's already off in the weeds. He's just making stuff up here. And the power of God is God's responsibility, and we create the fuel to create fire. In the upper room, they were in one accord in one place, and they, they came from heaven like a sound of a mighty windstorm. That's the oxygen of heaven, and they became tongues of fire. That's the heat of heaven, the power of God, and God gave them the ability to speak in other languages and gave them the ability to see transformation, and God empowered them uh, Acts 1 8 says you receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we talked about how the fire of God comes upon us, but it's 
our fuel, what we bring, that actually keeps the fire going. And if there's no fuel, the fire burns out eventually. What text says that we bring the fuel for the Holy Spirit's fire to keep burning? Ah. <laughs> it's going to be a long sermon. And we talked about how that that's our responsibility. So I want to continue on this theme because supernatural increase comes by agreement. It comes by hunger. It comes by... Really, supernatural increase comes by agreement. You have a biblical text that actually says that in context? Uh-huh. Positioning yourself. And so I want to talk to you on the topic, fire feeders. So what, you, what are you feeding the fire? I travel a lot, and uh, when I get to check in at, in at airports, they always ask me, do you have anything flammable in your luggage? Do you have anything that could catch a light? Whether it's a battery, whether it's, you know, I don't know what people carry in their bags, but is there anything fat flammable? And it's in the negative because they're scared that something will catch fire and the plane could uh, explode, whatever. But I'm here to ask you, have you bought anything flammable this morning for God to take hold of and create a fire that literally... Have you brought anything flammable to church? This is just ridiculous. Releases his glory. Have you got anything that will feed the fire that God has for your life? (laughs) Fire feeders. You know, the Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire. That's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 4.25. It says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Now, God isn't insecure. He's not like, oh, oh, they love other things more than me. He's not that. That's not what jealousy is talking about. It's talking about he's jealous for his children. In other words, he wants the best for his children. And he understands when you put him first, you will be looked after. If you put you first, you won't be looked after. He's jealous for your attention because he created you for... Yeah, no, when God talks about being a jealous God, it's in the context of um, uh, Israel not worshipping false gods, idols. Yeah, what you just said is not true. Intimacy. He, he wants to have intimacy and relationship with you, and he's a consuming fire. God is a, a God of fire. When they waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, one of the signs was fire. When they would build the tabernacle and they would come from the outer court into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, there was a place that God had created called the altar of God. And that in, in Leviticus chapter 9, 24, I'll read it to you. It says this, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. In other words, there was fuel on the altar for the fire to connect with. The Bible says in in Leviticus 6, verse 12, he says, The fire on the altar must keep burning. Everyone say, must keep burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add fire, wood, and arrange the burnt offerings on the fire, and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. And the fire must keep burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. See, God was giving a picture here of the presence of God in our lives. 
that our job, his job is to create the fire. Our job is to put things on the altar so the fire keeps burning. God wants you to be a more... This is absurd. ...hungry Christian, a more passionate Christian, the older you get, not be passionate at the beginning and lose your fire along the way. And God gives a picture in the Old Testament that the priests, the ministers of God, and the Bible says in the New Testament, we're all kings and priests. So that means each of us has a responsibility to keep the fire burning in our life. God creates a fire. We feed the fire. Yeah, um, no text actually says these words. Um, All of this seems to be a doctrine that you've just concocted in your head. You know, it seems reasonable because you one time read the instructions on a fire extinguisher and it talked about the fire triangle, and you clearly had your inspiration from that, uh, but this is not actually taught in Scripture. The wood they would have to put on every day so the fire would keep burning. The fat and the offering they would have to put on every day to keep the fire burning. God's given us wood to keep the fire burning. It's called the Word of God. And we feed the fire of God through His Word. We feed the fire of God through, through His presence. We feed the fire of God through worship. Keep the fire burning. I've seen people start hungry for God and they allow things into their life because they start feeding other fires instead of God's fire. And God says, I'm a jealous God, I'm a consuming fire. In fact, when we die on from this earth, when we go from this earth to the next, when we go to heaven, or if we don't know Jesus, we go to hell. That's the truth. The Bible says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.13 that everything we do will be tested by fire. And what is of God will last and what is not of God will be burnt up. So what gets burnt up is the things that we fed that aren't the fire of God, the other fires. The things of God that will remain is what we fed for the glory of God. We gave our lives for his kingdom. And so they're the things that remain. So what we feed in the fire of God remains for eternity. What we feed in the flesh gets burned up. What we feed in the, in the temple gets burned up. So when you understand that you feed the fire of God. Does any of this make any sense to you? I mean, do you know what the application is at this point? I mean, have you started to figure out? Okay, so I got to feed this fire, man. Um, uh, and uh, and um, what am I feeding it with again? Uh, yeah, this see, this makes no sense. Words, 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 words. None of them mean anything. But today, so when the fire of God hits you in heaven, it remains. Hmm. Amen. See, the fire must keep burning. So. Here's the thing about the fire of God. God is a God of fire. He appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Fire. Fire is symbolic of God's presence. In other words, keep feeding the presence of God. What? (laughs) Could you diagram that for me, please? You're not making any lucid sense. (laughs) Because if you keep feeding the right things, you keep building the right things. God is a God of fire. Fire was symbolic. Yeah, just repeat yourself now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Notice he, he's, he's losing confidence here. You know, it's like, 
people are kind of looking at him going, huh? And he's going, oh. And so, God is a God of fire. You know, fire. You know, burn stuff up. Fire. Yeah, you got to feed the fire. Fire. Yeah, you know, because, you know, God's a God of fire. This is just lame. ...of God's presence. And we see in Scripture, as I read before, God starts a fire. In Acts chapter 2, he started the fire. They didn't start the fire. He started the fire. It's their hunger that fed the fire. No text says that their hunger fed the fire. You made that up. So God's called us to be fear. Not fear. Fire feeders. No. No, that doesn't follow. You're just making things up still. The Bible says in Matthew 3.11, they're a little bit behind. Um, in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. This is the, the John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Everyone say Fire. See, fire feeders release a greater heat that blesses people. (laughs) It's just absurd. Hmm. In John chapter 12, there's a story, because I want to look at this story about some principles of what, how do you feed fire? In John chapter 12... Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and uh, the family's excited. <laughs> you know, it's, some, it's excited when God, exciting when God does miracles, right? It's exciting when a dead person who's been dead for four days gets risen from the dead. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. You see, as excited as Mary and Martha were at the raising of her brother, of their brother, they need to be continually excited about it. Right, so the excitement levels needed to be really high and stay high. What biblical text says that? I mean, at what point do you feel like, okay, it's okay for me to stop going, woohoo, woohoo, yay, good job, Jesus. You know, at some point you have to actually do work and stuff, you know. You see, we think, well, if God raised somebody from the dead in my life, then I'll be excited even more. Well, guess what? He did. You say, what? Every one of you who's born again has been risen from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sins. But Jesus came and became the substitute and he, he took away your sin. You were headed for destruction and now you're headed for eternal life. You are headed for hell and now you're headed for heaven. God has risen you from the dead. The Bible says that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. In other words, my spirit man is alive because Jesus has risen me and now I'm dead to my past and I'm alive to my future. If you believe that, would you give God a... Just yelling that doesn't make your false doctrine true. There were some things you said in there were true, but dead to my past, alive to my future, what does that mean? Praise! Lazarus is risen from the dead, and there they are, sitting around McDonald's or wherever, eating, celebrating... And Mary comes in and she has an expensive pint of 
of nard perfume. It's worth a year's wage. It was supposed to be used for her wedding night. And she comes and she pours it on Jesus' feet, which is an amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I've never heard anyone say that the, the embalming oil was for her wedding night. Okay. <laughs> amazing accomplishment right there. And then she uses her hair to wipe his feet. As I've told people many times, if that was me, it'd be like a roll-on deodorant on his feet. And so Jesus is there. She's, she releases atmosphere into this room. <laughs> what? <laughs> she releases atmosphere. Woo! Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> I never, never saw that before. She's passionate. She's, she's grateful. And Judas gets ticked and says, this money could have been given to the poor. Guess what? That's how the enemy works. He tries to take a part of truth and make it seem like reality. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in this sermon. It must be from the enemy. But Jesus isn't... You know, he's like, yeah, well, you always have the poor, but she's preparing me for my my burial. In other words, she's preparing me to die for the sins of the world. Her, Her giving is so prophetic that she's setting up generations to receive a fire that cannot be put out. And so Judas gets mad, but Jesus defends her honor. And he, he's, he's standing there excited about what she's done. And the Bible says that Judas objected. Why wasn't this money sold and given to the poor? It's worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus. I love Jesus, bit of attitude. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So here's some keys out of this story of how to keep your fire fed. First thing is fire feeders are grateful and thankful. Grateful, gratefulness and thankfulness keeps the fire burning. If you lose your gratefulness for what God has done in your life and you just get familiar, your fire dies down. But if you keep grateful and thank, did you? Where did you find this theology? I mean, this is absurd. Thankful. Oh, I'm so thankful you saved me. I'm so thankful that you healed me. I'm so thankful that you raised me up with Christ Jesus. I'm so, so thankful that you blessed me. I'm so thankful that you put me in a church that can experience the presence of God. I'm so thankful I can put on a worship CD and encounter you. I'm so thankful I can open up the Bible and read the Word of. God, which is live and active. I'm thankful that I've got people around me who love Jesus. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for my family. I'm grateful for what you have done. If you're thankful about what Jesus has done in your life, would you give him a praise like you're thankful? Would you give him... Yeah, do it so your fire doesn't burn out, man. Quick, quick. You see, when you're grateful and thankful, it keeps the fire burning. That's why we continually testify because the Bible says they overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. In other words, 
what Jesus did by his blood, shedding his blood, forgiving us of sin. By his stripes we are healed. And then we testify because testimony shows how grateful we are for what the blood has done in our life. The blood of Jesus that has set us free. And when we testify, we release a thankfulness and we release a praise that we can enter his courts with thanksgiving. Why do you think the altar of the fire of God was at the front of the tabernacle? Because they had to come in with thankfulness. They had to come in with gratefulness. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not learning anything really biblical at all. This is crazy, go nuts. Enter his courts with praise. You see, when you praise God, you set an atmosphere over your life that you feed the fire. No text says this. You like made it up. If you come and worship God like this, well, I'm thankful in my heart, Pastor. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, your praise shows who you are as a person. It doesn't show your personality, it shows your gratefulness. Well, my personality, I'm excited, Pastor Russell. Can't you tell? No. You know, people come into our church, I hear this all the time. All the time. Non-church people, never been in church their life, in their life. They come in, they go, when we walk in, the screens and the lights and the dancers are like, wow, this is like a concert. It ain't a concert because then they walk in and they go, but there's something different here. The people are so happy. There's such a great atmosphere Why? Because they've walked into a heap of grateful, thankful people who decided that they weren't going to be boring old fart Christians who sit there and go... Right, yeah, they're not boring old farts. Yeah, that's... I'm learning nothing, literally nothing about God's Word and just learning a a new way to twist God's Word, just make up stuff and... (laughs) <laughs> sound like you know what you're talking about and you, you can pontificate with absurdities, which is what he's doing. Church should be the most exciting place. <laughs> Sorry, if that word offended you, get a life. <laughs> you know, because here's religion. Religion... Religion tries to take our gratefulness away. And it tries to put our gratefulness in process instead of a person. We have to do it the right way. No, 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 no. I'm just grateful. I'm just thankful. And the problem is the more you go in Christ, we should become more grateful. Because the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. I better hurry up. The second thing to be a, to feed your fire, passion and hunger keeps the fire strong. Passion and hunger. Are you hungry? I, I, I've told this story, I think, before. Yeah, I have, but some of you wouldn't have heard it. My grandfather, he, he, he kept his hunger from the age of 17 to the age of 96. 
He had disappointment. He had hurt. He had good times. He had challenging times. But he kept his hunger. He kept his passion for Jesus up. When, he, when his wife was sick, he kept passionate. When she was healed, he kept passionate. When his church was doing well, he kept hungry. When it wasn't doing as good, he kept hungry. That's why, as a church, we, we continue to be hungry. Hmm. He came to me when he was 86. He says, Russell, I, I want to start a church in the outback of Australia. I said, Grandpa, you're blind. He was blind by then. He couldn't see. I said, Grandpa, just retire. He says, I will never retire. I will refire because I'm training for reigning. When I, I, all this is is a rehearsal for heaven. And I plan to take a lot of people there, he said. He already had seen that. He came up to me next week. He said, look, I need you to find somebody to go with me. I can't see you. Out back of Australia. I said, yeah, no problems, Grandpa. I lied. I, didn't, I was saying I was looking for somebody, but I wasn't. I thought, no, you're too old. Next week, he came to me and says, Russell, you got anyone? I said, oh, still looking, Grandpa. I've repented since, so don't worry. None of you religious people who never have told a lie in your life. (laughs) And so I'm like... Exactly which text are you preaching through, Russell? I'm, I'm kind of at a loss to identify which biblical passage you're actually teaching from at the moment. I was young too. And so, he, he came to me next week. Have you found that person? No. Still looking. And I pretend to look. Well, that put no, no, that person couldn't. No, too busy. He did this for three months. Every week. Found that person? Found that person? I'm like, Grandpa, just sit down and watch Days of Our Lives or listen to it or something like that. Listen to the radio. Listen to your Welsh hymns. All right. But he, he didn't settle. After three months, he says, I found my own young person. We're going next week. We hired a plane because commercial doesn't fly into that city. And we're getting a plane. And he's going with me, and we're going to start a Pentecostal church in that city of 2,000 people. He lands. And they go door knocking. Hey, my name is Pastor Tommy Evans. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus. And we're going to start a Pentecostal church in this town at the end of the month. He door knocked every house. After a month, they started a service in a house. And it had 60 people. It grew to 100 people. After two months, he thought, I've done my job. I've started a fire. Gets on a plane, says to my father, you need to send a pastor to that town because there's now a church of 100 people. What did he do? He kept his hunger and passion. He said to me, when I die, I want to die preaching the gospel. He got his prayer. He was preaching my uncle's church. He was blind. Somebody was letting, letting him up on the platform. He tripped. He broke his hip. He thought to himself, I'm in pain, but I'm not going to give her this opportunity out for preaching the gospel. So he put his leg up and he preached with a broken hip. Two days later, he died. Why? Because he kept his hunger. Some of us can't even keep our hunger for three weeks, let alone 30 years. Why? Because we're feeding other fires instead of, 
We're feeding our career fire, our family fire, which are all good things, our finance fire, but we're not putting God first. Because this is what people do. They go, well, I put God first, family second, jobs third, you know, um, study, whatever, you know, hobbies fourth, holidays fifth, whatever. And we, we have a hierarchy of system, but God says, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm first, so I'm first in your family. I'm first in your finance. I'm first in your career. I'm first in your hobbies. I'm first in your downtime. I'm first in your uptime. I'm first. I'm number one in every part of this. So if I'm first, the first thing you don't give up on is the things that you put God first in. Amazing that people go, well, I'm too busy now. I'm pulling out of involvement in church. It's God's method for revival. And the very first thing they pull out of is involvement. Doesn't make sense to me. What that says to me, I'm feeding another fire other than this. Fire is kept burning, number three, by not letting others put it out. Where do you find this list in Scripture again? I'm still trying to figure out which biblical text you're basing any of this on, because I don't think this is biblical, like any of it. It's like you're just making stuff up, and then people are going, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in, wow, and, you know, and so to the average you know, person who knows nothing, they think, well, it's got to be true because the people are going, amen, yeah, you know, but you know, I don't know where any of this is in the Bible. Judas tried to put out her fire. You know, so many times we worry what people think. We worry that, you know, if we get too excited for Jesus, that people, what will people think? They'll think you're excited for Jesus. Now, here's a, here's a challenge in life sometimes is, you know, when God, when we're talking about passion for God, it's never to be, look at us passion. You ever seen people in church and they're, and they look like they're passionate, but they're really wanting attention. Don't worry, we see those people and we deal with that. Because the problem is then the devil lies to some of you and he says, don't get too excited because you don't want to look like that. That is the flesh. We want you to be in the spirit. So we clap your hands, shout to God, do whatever God has called you to do. And so instead of letting someone else who's putting a false fire, put your fire off, create a fire that burns out everything that's false. Second thing. Your fire shows up other people's lack of fire. So they'll criticize you for being too fire, fire filled because you are showing their lack of fire. <laughs> I just, this is so absurd. Oh man, I'm so jealous. Your fire is so fiery and mine is so. Bleh. I hate you because your fire is fiery and my, you make my fire look so ordinary. <laughs> so ridiculous. Well, look at that, too excited. Amazing what people make up. I remember one time there was this move. Oh, I agree. You're making all kinds of amazing stuff up in this so-called sermon. Move of God happening in the body of Christ and people were laughing in the spirit. People were laughing and Someone came into a church one day and says, oh, they're, they're cynical, right? And they said, they're gassing in laughing gas through the air conditioning. <laughs> this is how illogical they were. So I heard about it and I said, well, why aren't you laughing? It's the same gas in the atmosphere. 
just trying to dampen someone else's hunger. Sit there with a religious, cynical spirit. See, we, wanna, we want God to do whatever he can, but we don't put our focus on the manifestation. We put the mo- focus on the manifester. So God can move, he can touch people, he can cry, he can dance, he can shout. He can... But our focus isn't you, friend, I'm sorry, but our focus is him. And if our focus is him, I'm not worried what you think, and I'm not worried. Here comes another shouting thing, like waves, you know, they come in in sets. You know, here's another shouting set what you think and I'm not worried what you think my focus is him and if my focus is him my clap is for him if my focus is him my dance is for him if my focus is him my giving is for him yeah how many times has he talked about giving and money in this sermon yeah a lot yeah a lot it's like he wants money he wants to make sure get that money to me Stop letting people take your fire. They're thieves. Judas was a thief. He was stealing money for his own benefit. I'm not saying people are stealing your money. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is them trying... Why would you say that? (laughs) Which means he's got a guilty conscience. Yeah, that would be my guess. And they're stealing people's money there. That's why he said it. Trying to take your passion away is trying to steal from your breakthrough. Stop listening to people who don't have what you have. So, well, I'm not like that. Well, good on you. Come and, come and be like this. But don't look at me, look at him. Why I do this is him. Why we praise is Him. Why we sing is Him. Why we give is Him. Everything is Him, 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 Him. In Him I live and move and have my being. Not He keeps talking about that money thing, yeah. In you, not in you, not in you, not in you. In Him I live. So stop trying to make me live like you. Oh, better hurry. Fire is kept burning... By positioning yourself and having vision. (laughs) What? Again, where are you getting any of this? You keep your fire burning by positioning and vision. See, in the upper room, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They position themselves. And they were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. God was giving them vision. As soon as you lose vision, you stop positioning. But you should position you. (laughs) Oh, this is so bad. And this guy is the leader of a movement, not just a megachurch. It's a whole movement. Yourself even more when the enemy tries to attack your vision. If you position yourself, the vision will come. Why do you think the devil... No biblical text says that either. The devil tries to isolate and tries to take... The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who he made of our. So a lion wants to separate people from the herd. because Not people, but animals from the herd. That's how lions work. They want to separate them so they can tap them in isolation. But when the herd is together, the lion can't infiltrate. The lion can't get in. So he'll try to intimidate, to, to disperse. He'll try to... Uh, in 
intimidate, to isolate. But here's the truth. When you come together in one accord and you say, we're together in this. We are positioning ourselves for supernatural increase. We are positioning ourselves for a breakthrough. And We're positioning ourselves for a supernatural increase and a breakthrough. Where does the Bible tell us to position ourselves for these things? And how does one go about doing said positioning? Although the enemy tries to lie about that person and that person and that person, I am not letting offense get in me. I'm not letting disappointment get in me. I'm going to believe, believe, believe. Position yourself. We're too agree concerning anything. The enemy wants to separate. Whom God has joined together, let no man separate. And a man is you or me. So we can choose to separate because of offense. We can choose to separate because we've... God has joined together, let no man separate. That's referring to, you know, marriage. We've been hurt. We can choose to separate from God because he didn't do what we thought he was going to do. But I decided a long time ago, I'm going to live in supernatural increase. I'm going to be... Oh, I'm sure you decided that. But uh, where in Scripture does it tell us to make the decision to live in supernatural increase? I'd like to see that text, please. Connected with my God. I'm going to be connected with God's people. I'm going to be a believer in God and believer of the God in people. And even though they might disappoint me at times, I'm going to look and see greatness in them. Hmm. I better hurry up. Fire, lastly, is fed by giving you all. Bible says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12. For this is... Yeah, it says in light of God's mercies, God's grace, his forgiveness, salvation as a gift totally by Christ's doing. In light of God's mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is not uh, understood apart from the actual gospel. Is your reasonable service. Which, by the way, this has nothing to do with maintaining uh, combustibility or anything like that. Reasonable. You know why? Why is it reasonable that I give God my all? Because he gave everything I have is his. So it's reasonable to think if he gave me breath to breathe, then my life is about him. If he gave me money and my... Again, Romans 12 says, in light of God's mercies... My job. You say, well, no, my, career, my education got you your job. No, who gave you a brain? Who gave you the ability to learn? God. Melbourne Universe. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, getting them to make decisions. University didn't give you your education. God gave you your education and he allowed Melbourne University to teach you. <laughs> you know, when my kids were younger, we'd go to McDonald's. Now they don't go, but I do. And um, and I'd see kids operate like this over the years that They'd get their chips and their food and the kid would go, I want to take their chip. No, that's my chip. Parent would try to take it. No, it's my chip. You know, if that was my kid that I tried to take their chips and they said no, this is what I would immediately think. Who do you think you are? I paid for the chips. 
In fact, I could buy all the chips in this restaurant and I'm not going to give you any more chips. I'm going to just create chips for me because you're not sharing the chips, you little chip stingy person. All these chips. You want me to share these chips? Yeah, they're my chips. No, they're not your chips. I pay for them. Well, I'm eating them. Well, share them. No. All right. I'm going to buy them for someone else. See, we think that when we give our life to God, we're doing Him a favour. And when He says, share your life. No, it's my life. Share your talents. No, it's my talents. Share your finance. No, my finance. Yeah, he keeps banging on that money drum, doesn't he? Fascinating. He, he's trying to hide it, you know, shuffle it around. But oh, there it is again. Whoop, there it is again. Keeps harping on that give them money card. They're my chips. And God says, are you for real? I paid for the chips. I paid for your talent. I dreamed your gift. I created you in my image. Everything you are is me anyway. So Share. And this is what God says. And if you share, I'll give you more. So if you give me my all, you give, give your all to me, you'll get all in return. But if you stingy, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I'm only going to give you a few chips because you won't share them. But he who sows generously, hey, everyone in McDonald's, here's my chips. Free. Hey, everyone in McDonald's, here's my chips. Reap. Generously. If my children went and gave food to other people, they'd do anyway. They'd go, Dad, could I have some money? I'd go, what's it for? He said, lunch. I said, well, how much you want? $30? I'm like, lunch isn't $30. He go, oh, there's four people with us. I'm like, well, get their parents to pay for it. But they're like, no, Dad, we're a sharing family. I'm like, who you been talking to? Mum. <laughs> See, I can't give other people what I don't give God. <laughs> what? It's my reasonable service or worship to give my all. He gave me his all. So I am no longer a sinner. I'm the righteousness of Christ. Uh, you still sin. Yeah, you do. First uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm no longer bound. I'm free because... Through the sunset, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I have an eternity in heaven. Why? Because fire feeders feed the fire with their lives. Please end this sermon, please. That's why I started this sermon with 1 Corinthians 3.13. Everything you do with your life will be tested by fire 
And what is of God will remain, and what is not of God will be burnt up. Yeah, that testing of fire is talking about God's judgment of our works. And it says some will get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. I don't want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I want to get to heaven. It's talking about the materials they build on the foundation with. Read the text. By God saying, well done, you good and faithful servant. You fed the fire that I started. You fed the servant. You fed the fire that I started. Oh, that's absurd. That's just absurd. You fed the things of God that I put in your life. That's not what 2 Corinthians 3 is about. Hmm. Don't feed other things. Be fire feeders. Yeah, be a fire feeder. Yeah. I want to be a fire feeder. Now my question to you, as I started, do you have anything inf- inflammable on you? Do you have any gratefulness? Do you have any thankfulness? Do you have anything inflammable on you? Do you have any passion and hunger for God? Do you, do you not worry what people think? You, you, you're going to just get full on for God. Are, are you an all-in person? Like, here I am, Lord, everything is yours. Good. Because out of that, you can feed the fire of God to spread. You know, the Bible says this. I close with this. The Bible says, don't pray for the harvest because the harvest is ripe. But pray for the laborers because the laborers are few. What is that saying? They're saying the harvest is an issue. It's the hunger of the laborers. <laughs> what? <laughs> just, I don't think this guy has a sound mind. They're not feeding the. They're not feeding the fuel or the fire. They're not putting fuel in the fire so it can spread so other people can enjoy the heat. Why? Because we live for ourselves instead of living for Him. But if all of us fed the fire, it would spread. Okay, that was insanely painful, and he managed to say nothing. Literally nothing. So if disciples are learners and we're supposed to be discipled in all that Christ has taught and commanded, then uh, a discipleship failed to occur there at Planet Shakers. Nobody really (laughs) was taught anything substantively true. uh, Wow. And they're left with this list of things to do to become fire feeders and how to keep fires burning and stuff, and none of them can actually be applied because none of this was uh, biblical doctrine or teaching. Bizarre. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Until the second week of June, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.